Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Amen and amen. I am coming to you today in weakness and in avoidance. It's true. I have tried to avoid this sermon all week long. I have tried to write three other sermons this week, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, One, next week, a short promo. Um, If you remember earlier this year, I said we were going over the Johannian literature. That's the writings from John. So we looked at the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and I have been avoiding Revelation Uh, mainly because I'm like, all right, Lord, I don't know if I'm prepared enough for this, but we're going to be starting that next week looking at the seven churches, and I'm I'm, I'm really excited. But I started working on that this week instead of unpacking something. So really, just the the whole premise, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, two weeks ago we talked about purity. Last week we talked about perseverance, uh, purity. You know, it's not a lot of fun to talk about it in a culture that um, pretty much accepts anything and everything now is okay. And we don't like to be challenged. We don't like to be uh, told uh, maybe what we should or shouldn't put before our eyes. We're Americans. We make our own decisions. We're independent, right? And so talking about something like that is not necessarily a fun topic to talk about to American people, um, especially because the gospel is for everyone. And if you're never challenged when you read scripture, you're reading it wrongly. Um, Secondly, we talked about perseverance. Paul says, who cut in on you? And many times in our lives, we've had difficult things happen. We've had train wrecks. We've had shipwrecks, like Paul talks about. We've had offense. We've had hurts and pain, sometimes in the church, family, somebody close to us. And we become jaded, and we begin to slow our walk down with Christ, and we stop persevering. We stop running the race that we're supposed to run. And um, so we started to unpack some of those things. And this week, I have been avoiding unpacking this. And I I found it quite funny, actually. Um, And this is where I just know that God has a sense of humor. How many of you know that God has a sense of humor? If he's given us a sense of humor, um, that means that we are created in his image. Uh, Therefore, we, our emotions and things reflect parts of who he is. And for much of my life, I, I just love making people laugh. I do. I love making people laugh. And I confess one of my sins um, is I used to say things out of reaction. And one of the verses I read talked about not having coarse talk or things like that. And the Holy Spirit really started to work in me because I loved the reactions that I got from people. Anyway, it, when I was younger, I was like, Lord, I, my goal in life is to make you laugh. I wanted to make God laugh. Um, now, how, how does one measure that? Well, I either have to die and find out, or God has to give me some kind of vision of him laughing, which hasn't quite happened yet. So I don't know how you view God. I mean, sometimes if I say, okay, I want you to just picture God for a second, maybe you have a very, um, you have an idea of God being super angry or, or aloof and not, not caring. And when we read through scripture, we know that that's not true. Now, there are times where he, he is angry, when his people are doing things totally against him and not following the laws that, that he has put uh, before us, but that is not the picture 
of God. We have a loving God who loves. And I, the, the picture in Genesis of, of, of God walking with Adam in the cool of the day, and, and this was a daily recurrence, it just tells you that God is so relational, that the reason that Jesus came for us is because we serve a relational God who wanted to be able to have close relationship with us, his people. And, and so here um, I am looking at the humor of God as, as we are talking about unpacking something, and I have tried to avoid unpacking it. And I was just chuckling. I'm like, Lord, you do have a sense of humor here because, man, I have, I have tried to avoid talking about money. Yuck. Who wants to stand before the church and start talking about money? Oh, man. So, you know, some of the things I want to talk about this week, uh, Kanye West's new album, Jesus is King. Wow. Um, you know, sometimes churches and Christians can be really harsh on famous people when they have a, a, a Christ encounter. And isn't it funny that us as Christians, we pray for the salvation of people? We pray for people of influence to get saved, and then when they do, they're like, well, we better just wait and see what happens here. <laughs> you know, that's true. And if you've been alive for any time, you know that there's a lot of famous people that have had gospel albums. There's people that have kind of come and gone, and we're like, see, I told you. You know what? Let's accept the fact that somebody has a terrific worship album that is lifting up the name of Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? He said, it's okay that those people over there, because the disciples came and said, those are people preaching in your name. We should do something about it. And Jesus said, they're preaching in my name. Let it, let it be. And so I, I started writing a sermon on this, and I'm like, oh, Lord, this is so good. We as a church need to celebrate this. And then John MacArthur out in California says these terrible things about women, and he tells Beth Moore that she should go home. Beth Moore is a tremendous minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have been blessed by her ministry. She is terrific. He tells her that she should go home. And then he tells her that women uh, preaching are like a, a infomercial for jewelry. And I was angry. I was angry. I was looking at scripture. I kind of went off on Karen and Pastor Callie because I was like, you know what the Bible says about this? And I started naming the women in ministry. I started looking at the Old Testament where the Old Testament is talking about your men and your boys and your girls are going to prophesy. And if your girls are prophesying God's word, don't you think we should listen? Amen. I mean, good grief. People, there's so much to preach about this week other than money. Oh, man, God has a sense of humor, and he used me as the joke. So thank you, Lord, for, for that. You know, in Scripture, God gives us uh, directions to help us, um, not to harm us. And so many times we've looked at, at the Bible as, oh, there's so many rules, and, and he's given them, and I just want to be able to have fun, but Jesus came so we can have life and have it more abundantly. That's right. So... There are concepts in Scripture where God gave thousands of years ago, and it's so funny because in today's age, all of a sudden we're coming to it like, wow, look what we've learned. We're so amazing and smart. And we're going, no, actually, that's been happening for a long time. Um, I 
know of somebody who just had a baby boy, and uh, they were deciding whether or not to do circumcision. Great church conversation. And, and uh, they decided to have um, a circumcision, and they, the doctor said, why don't you come in? How many days later? <laughs> Eight days later. Let me tell you something. Not long ago, it was just an immediate thing. They would just do it right there, get it done with, okay, go home. Why eight days? Well, the body clots the best at eight days. Wow, they just figured this out. Way to be on top of things. Our technology has advanced so much that we can now uh, compete with Moses in the wilderness. Man, I was just chuckling as he was telling me this. Oh, man. It wasn't, uh, I mean, you think of, of fasting. Right now, um, in the last while, the, wow, fasting is amazing. It does all these things for your bodies, all these studies being done. Intermittent fasting. I mean, if you read any articles about it, it's on news things talking about just the benefits. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Have you opened your Bibles, friends? It doesn't say if you fast. It says when you fast. It's not even an expectation that we don't fast. Now, if we want to unpack something fun, I'm not going to talk about fasting. Don't worry about it. But the, the benefits, the benefits, it's not just because, yes, I mean, I remember my first time fasting. I remember I was hungry. Go, go figure. And then I was dwelling on being hungry, and I was dwelling and dwelling and dwelling and dwelling. And then all of a sudden I went, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be praying and thinking about the Lord and put my eyes on him. And all of a sudden I started practicing that and I started realizing, oh, I'm not fasting just to do something kind of for myself. This is for me to focus on the Lord. And my eyes and my heart began to be directed towards the Lord. So every time I felt the hunger of my body wanting food or sustenance, my eyes started to be directed towards the Lord, and I started to see not only is there physical benefits, the Lord knows this, but there's also spiritual benefits as well. Don't you think he knows? Are there other examples? Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, you think of disease at that time, they didn't understand cleanliness and the way things worked, but they sure, God sure gave direction when it came to diseases and people who were sick. Food, when you start looking at the things that the Jews were not able to eat, and you start looking at what temperatures need to be and where people don't get ill, and the types of some of those foods that we even eat today and what they eat, there is reason behind it. God wasn't saying, I don't want you to have bacon. He was saying, okay, listen, you need to stay away from this, and there's a reason why. There's a reason why. God is in the business of protecting us and in the business of having us being drawn to him. And the same has to do with our stewardship, has to do with our money. Did you know how much God talks about money in the Bible? A lot. So before I get into that, let me just be a little bit um, authentic here. Not that I'm being inauthentic, I'm just going to open up about something. One of the reasons why I have been in avoidance about this subject is because of personal things that have happened to me in the area of finances. And because of my hurt and because of me feeling like I've been manipulated, I have avoided the conversation with you as a church, okay? And 
those of you that, that know, I mean, this is basic understanding of life. You've been hurt in a relationship, you avoid serious relationships. You maybe were, had corporal punishment when you were young being raised, and then you're like, well, I'm not going to punish my kid in the same way. Then all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, I've raised a devil child, right? And you go, I need to do something about this. There's a reason why we actually need to have consequences in life. And so in the same way, I feel that there have been times in my life in a church setting that I have been manipulated, okay? I feel like I have been taken advantage of and my finances, especially as a young Christian, where I felt that if I was not giving to a certain cause or to a certain ministry, that I was somehow in sin. And it, it was very much insinuated, okay? And me personally at home, I'm struggling as a husband to provide for my wife and my super young children, and then I'm going to church and I'm being told how, how I'm failing, and I'm giving out of my actual poverty. I mean, I'm giving to the point where it's not that it hurts, it's damaging. And then what, what we find, and we're going to read through this, is that when it comes to finances, giving with the wrong heart, giving with the wrong motivations, is not a blessing at all. And God looks at this and he sees the heart of the giver. And we're going to talk about that. And I can tell you that I have given bitterly. I have given bitterly. And then there's the, the part of my wife will be overly generous and I will not be. And so we have, we have had some heated conversations of saying, okay, you are making me bitter with this over generosity right now and I am trying to make a solvent over here. So let's find a place in our lives where we can agree on this and we can actually give with joy and give with gladness. Thirdly, I have gone to events or I've been at church services where I have felt more like a human ATM machine where there wasn't actual love and care for me and my soul. It was about their pet project or it was about the person they brought in to raise funds because they want to be known as the big fundraiser. So they bring in the big guns. And now I'm in there and I'm like, how on earth does this reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, you can put something good on anything, right? And we can raise money for a good cause, and we've done that here. We've supported missionaries. We've, we've helped people. We've helped people in our community. And I absolutely love that, and I love the generosity of this church. And I, and I will say this. I am not talking about this because we don't have a generous church, okay? I am not preaching this. I'm not coming here because we've got a problem, church, and we need to talk about this, okay? So I am coming to you with, we had a wonderful September, all right? We had a wonderful September, and we had a wonderful summer, and so I'm coming to you going, hey, church, we're talking about a biblical, spiritual principle of giving. And I want you also to just take a deep breath because we've already taken the offering. Here's what I've discovered. <clears throat> and I actually had a, a pastor take me to task when I was talking to him about this. I just said, you know, I need some help. Um, I haven't done this a lot, and, and I just, I would like some guidance. And um, he said to me, he said, um, you, you've actually ripped your church off of blessing. He said, you've been ripping your church off of blessing by not talking about the spiritual discipline of giving. And he was right. 
he was right, and I need to apologize for that. I, I have allowed my own, some of my cynicism and skepticism of the way that I've seen things, and I've brought that um, here as, as your pastor, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. <clears throat> Jesus tells us that it's more beneficial to give than it is to receive. I, I heard a story, actually I read a story of Michael Jordan that he was walking down um, the street in Chicago and, and a, somebody on the street knew who he was and asked him for money and he didn't have a five, he only had a $100 bill and, and Michael Jordan gave him the $100 bill and he walked away from that and he couldn't believe how good he felt. I mean, of course, he has lots more money than that. But all of a sudden, he started to realize the importance of himself, of what, there's something in the way that God has developed us that when we give, something happens within us. And if you've ever heard testimonies and things about missions trip, there has not been a missions trip that, that I have gone on where I haven't heard the exact same thing. I came here thinking that I had something to give, but in actuality, by the giving of myself, I received way more from them than I ever could have hoped, dreamed, or imagined. Because when we give of ourselves in service and in generosity, God is pouring out into us and into our spirits. Now, there are gospels out there being preached that will try and tell you for them to be able to receive more funds, that you will be blessed. So if, I, if you give $200, you will either receive a 30, 60, or 90-fold based on the parable of, of Jesus Christ. And it, it's almost like saying, okay, God, it says in your Bible, you better do it now. I'm waiting. I'm here. Where is it? And I don't know about you, but part of reverence, part of fearing the Lord is understanding who he is and that who we are. We're the created beings, okay? We are to humbly go and understand who God is and who we are. It is true. I, I believe this principle is true. You will get a return on investment. But we also said that here in what the scripture says is that he will give you what you need. And many times we don't know what we need. But we sure know what we want, don't we? Now let me ask you a question, and don't answer this, because it'll be, it'll be miserable for us. Just think if God answered all your prayers. Think of some of those prayers you've prayed. Aren't you glad you're not with that person now? Aren't you, aren't you glad that that job you don't have after you saw that, what's going on with that company? I mean, th think of some of the prayers, the, the loose-lipped prayers that we've made and we're just so grateful that the Lord has not answered him because he knows what we need. And let me tell you something. Sometimes the worst thing is to get what we want. And the Lord knows that. And he is, what? From the very beginning, we've been talking about this today, to protect us. He wants the best for us. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture where you see God asking to be tested like this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. My, my friend who uh, helps in the area of finance and 
has a company that's done exceptionally well. He said that he stopped praying for, um, for more money and praying for more financial blessing. He said that I now pray for a bigger shovel to handle his blessing. Because we, we can only receive so much, right? And he said, so I'm asking the Lord so I can receive more. And then in turn, give more, right? We've been talking about spiritual disciplines, and giving is a spiritual discipline. And if you do not have a practice of giving, I want to encourage you to pray, to seek the Lord, and to start somewhere. Test him in this. Test him in this area in your life. And so here are a couple things. The main subject of nearly half of Jesus' parables are about finances and money. Half the parables. In Scripture, 500 verses are on prayer, 500 on faith, and 2,000 on the subject of money. Why? Probably because our heart follows where our eyes go. Dr. Renee Brathwaite talked about that a few weeks ago. Where our eyes go, our heart and our wallet follow. Faithful giving is spiritual. So number one, if you could put that up for me, Sheila, please. Give willingly and generously. Now, if you could put up 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, I put way too much scripture on this, so you just have to deal with me on this one. This is my fault. Can't blame anyone else. <laughs> you can open it up, your, your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So he's talking about these churches in Macedonia. What happened? In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So they are in financial ruin. There is things happening to their economy, but yet there is joy, overflowing joy in their poverty. What on earth? For what I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. So entirely on their own. They didn't need the pastor to go there and say, you need to start giving. We're going to have a campaign. We're going to blah, blah, blah. On their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege. Look at this. For the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to who? The Lord. This you can tell, their hearts are in the right place. And then they exceeded, whoops, I went back, sorry. See, way too much in a short part there. And then, by the will of God, also to us, to God first, and then to the need. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also the completion, this act of grace on your part. It's an act of grace, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith and in speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. This grace of giving. There is a gift, there is a grace in giving. 
First, they gave themselves to God. Second, they gave themselves to the will of God. And thirdly, you see that this was the blessing of grace being poured out on them because of their generosity. <clears throat> so my desire to protect you from being taken advantage, from me being in a, a place of manipulation, I have actually kept you, or potentially kept you, from the grace that God wants to pour out in your life by being a generous person. Number two, give sacrificially. Now this is a very famous portion in Scripture in uh, Luke 21, 1 through 4. As Jesus looked up, he, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All these people have their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Isn't that amazing? And really frustrating? I mean, what? Yeah, I gave more money. I was bitter at the time, but I gave more money. And you're telling me that that woman over there who gave just those two little mites are somehow in heaven, they're rejoicing. Somehow they're looking at her, at, at her heart and going, what she has done is greater than everything else that's happened in this place today. There is power in giving with joy and with cheer. I had taken a commission job earlier in, um, in my marriage, and unfortunately, my mother-in-law's in here, so she probably knows this all too well. So for about three months, I had been working in, in uh, restaurants for a long time, and, and the economy was just booming, and, and I, I thought this, I mean, I knew people making just great money, and I thought this was my, my chance, this is my chance to do well. So I took this commission job, and it lasted for three months because... That's all my household could take. It didn't go super well. And I remember I had gone into church um, one day, and, and um, it wasn't on a Sunday, and the pastor was walking by, and he had some change in his hand, and he was, I think he was going to the concession stand or just to the pop machine or something, and he's just moving some change around and walking by. And I said as a joke, oh, I see you got my tithe this month. And... Uh, and the sad case is that was really the truth because that was really probably it. And, um, and that, that's really how I felt. And, and even when things were like that, we still were faithful. We were still faithful. So what, what's the point to this? Is that we may not have equal gifts, but we should have equal sacrifice. Okay? We may not have equal gifts, but we should have equal sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. <clears throat> Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. I'm looking at somebody here. I don't know who. <clears throat> not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. He loves it. I don't know about you, but I want to please the Lord. I want to do things that, that he loves. And it's 
telling, this is an aspect of who God is, is that he gave generously. He gave his one and only son so we may have life and have it more abundantly. And he loves it when we give generously as well. Number four, give expectantly. Luke chapter 6, 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Verse 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Can you put up the slide for God's economy? Just take a look at this, and maybe you can reflect in, in your own life, is that God blesses us. The Lord blesses us. And then, in return, we give, and we bless to meet the needs of others. And then, they receive, they've been praying, they've been asking, crying out to the Lord, saying, Lord, I, I'm, I'm in I'm in need, I'm in, I'm just really need what something, and all of a sudden they praise and give thanks to God for the generosity. Then God gives us more of his grace and of his goodness, and then we repeat. And I let me tell you, I have seen this over and over and over again that there have been opportunities in our church, and we have faithful people in this place that give to benevolence or give to areas of need that arise in our community, of our church, and sometimes surrounding areas. And I have seen over and over again where we have helped people that were maybe going through um, maybe a family hurt or something going on, and so we tried to help, or somebody was in between jobs and people that began to now start going, I didn't even know about this, but because that the church helped in our time of need, we are now going to start giving. So God's economy begins to multiply because of the faithfulness of his church. And I, I have been blown away. Um, somebody who, they had a job that changed, and, and they moved, and we were able to help them two years ago or so. And just really great, you know, person, and, and we, we hated seeing them move on, but they moved on. And we helped them during a really difficult time of, of need. And Karen, our bookkeeper, came and said to me, he goes, did you know about this person? I'm like, yeah, they, they've been gone. They had a job change. And uh, she said, they keep giving. And she goes, it's not like it's an auto, on an automatic thing. It's different amounts. They keep giving. And I think, how powerful is that, that because of the generosity of you, the generosity that we've been able to put on others, that the Lord is multiplying that. I just think, how, how amazing, how amazing is that? As God blesses and is faithful to you, I want to encourage you to be faithful to him. If everything is his, if we really look at our life that everything is truly his, then really we're just stewarding God's resources, and trusting him, and as we read in Malachi 3, that we are testing him in this, and he will be faithful to you. He is going to be faithful. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question I have for you is, where's your treasure? One way to do this is you can look at your bank statement. Now, if I want to talk to the older part of your, this congregation, I could say you could open up your checkbooks 
Uh, to the rest of you, I could say open up your checking account on, on your phone right now. And, and you can look and you can see, okay, where is this going? Because you'll be able to, if you start going back months and months, you'll start seeing a trend in where your heart is. So this is where we now not take an offering. <clears throat> um, I get a, re- a report every month, and I, I, lo- I love seeing this report. There's no names or anything. This is something that um, our bookkeeper prints off <clears throat> for, for me. And um, I think we, I had been here for maybe about six months to a year, and Karen came into my office, and she goes, Pastor, can we talk for a minute? <clears throat> I said, yes. And she said, can you look at this part right here and and it, it, it talks about on this graph right here, um, in this report of first-time givers, second-time givers, third-time, fourth-time, or fifth-time gifts. So it's showing us in a month's time if there's somebody that's given for the first time. And um, she said, this is my favorite part. And she knows the names. She, she has to. She's the one that sends out the reports at the end of the year. <clears throat> but she said, Pastor, when I start seeing people who've been coming to our church that have given for the first time. And she said, something wells up in my heart because I know that they are now beginning to trust the Lord more. And I, I, was, I was so moved by what Karen was sharing with me because she knows the importance of this. She, she knows the faithfulness of God in this. And I, 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 every time I get this report, I look at the back, and for the month of September, we had four first-time givers in this place. Isn't that awesome? I, I think that is awesome. Then I look at the second time. Are they continuing to give? You know, and I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, Lord, this is, this is so great when your people are being obedient. Was this okay today? Who knew? Who knew we could have a little bit of fun talking about money? Did you have fun? <laughs> Some of you are like, if he preaches again on money, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm just going to share a, a brief story as we end this today. Um, when Jane and I got married, we, uh, we did not have, um, when, it, when it came to finances, we were not giving to our church. We were just giving to survive, I guess you could say. We were just paying our bills and trying to live and, and do all the things that we do, right? And um, I just, I, I don't remember... I don't remember what happened, but I remember that the Lord spoke very, very strongly to me, is that we need to give. And I was like, all right, Lord, we need to give. So how are we going to do this? We've been now married for this amount of time, and we haven't, we haven't regularly given at all. And that Christmas... Uh, my wife was getting a check, and it wasn't a lot of money. Um, if, if you would hear it, it wouldn't be a ton of money. But to us then, I mean, we were raising three kids on $35,000 a year. Tough times, friends. And this money, I felt the Lord, I mean, there have been a few times where I felt this strong of an impression from the Lord was that we were not to touch that money. That this was, we had not been giving to the Lord. And I'm not saying this is something you need to do. I'm just telling you, this is what the Lord and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And um, this money was on my wife's side. And I just said, I said, honey, I, I can't tell you what to do. But I'm actually afraid of that money because the Lord said this to me this much. And so if you want to spend it, 
I just don't want it to touch my house. That, that's how strongly, I mean, and, and if, if you understand Scripture, there is a time of the fear of the Lord, and I really had that because I felt the Lord spoke to me clearly on this. And there, there's a verse that says there is pain in the offering. And let me tell you, friends, there was pain in that, and there's no logical reason for it. And some would, would say that it's totally ignorant. But let me tell you something. There's something different when it comes to faith. And that was the beginning of our faith journey of giving. And that was the beginning of us giving, even when things were really hard. And I want to just tell you that I do not want to be a person standing between you and the grace that God wants to put in your life in the area of finances. And if this is an area where you are holding firm to you know, I think the Lord might want to speak to you about this. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.